listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another new episode of ESL Talk. Welcome, everyone. We had really great feedback from our lesson last week with Kate on Business English, and today will hopefully be just as useful. And as always, I'm Faye. And I'm Daniel. So today we're talking about the journey of progressing from ESL student to ESL teacher and the steps, techniques, and strategies you may want to think about when you make that leap. Yeah, our special guest Jose was sharing his journey with us from starting out as a student to making it as a professional ESL teacher today. Um, it's really inspiring and encouraging to see more and more ESL students progress and become ESL teachers themselves. So, Faye, I know we've talked a little bit about your journey before, but let's see if we can expand on this a little bit more to kick off today's episode. Mm -hmm. So you actually learned English, first of all, in Brazil. So what was that experience like for you? Yeah, so it's not it wasn't the most traditional way of learning English as a second language. I was born in Brazil and I, I learned English in kindergarten. I went to English immersion kindergarten. So it was almost like learning it as a first language, but it was my second language officially. And then. After that, I just uh, went, I kind of went school hopping. I went from school to school because what happened was my English was pretty advanced at a very early age. So whenever I got tested at um, just regular ESL schools, I got tested at a very high level and I would usually be placed with um, adult learners, even as a child sometimes, because they didn't really have that, le the, that level for my age. Um, so I ended up hopping because sometimes they would place me in with the kids, but the English was too easy for me. And then I ended up studying usually with people that were much older than me. Um, and it was mostly American English that we were exposed to until I decided to take one of the Cambridge uh, exams, the advanced uh, CAE at the time. Mm -hmm. That's when I started studying at a British English school. And what yeah, was that transition that, like from British English, American English? Yeah, how did that, how did that feel? It was kind of strange because at the time, the only contact I had with British English was through Spice Girls. <laughs> um, that, that was my that was it, because we didn't really have the Internet like we do nowadays and mm. TV shows and all that. It was mostly in Brazil, especially it was mostly American influence. So it was a bit of an adaptation. And most of my teachers actually spoke with a British accent and I had to kind of learn the vocabulary. I was 
happy to learn that I, I didn't have to speak with a British accent to take the exam. Um, but it was interesting because after that, when I first started teaching, I actually started teaching a Cambridge prep course for FCE, then CAE. And nowadays I teach for proficiency as well. Mm -hmm. So it really helped me in that sense. Yeah. Absolutely. So how long would you say that it took you to feel confident enough in your ability to teach um, English? Um, I mean, I was about 15 when I, let's say, graduated from English. And I felt mm -hmm. really confident in my ability to communicate and speak the language. Um, when I started teaching, I mostly started teaching it because I wanted to make some money on the side as a university student. And I just said, oh, this is something I can do. Let's try um, mm. and see how it goes. But I actually got hired by a school that taught business English as well in company, like a, for ExxonMobil employees. And I kind of got thrown in there because I taught more advanced levels. And I don't think I actually felt that confident at the time, but I was always a pretty good actress, I think. I could fake mm -hmm. it. Yep. And that really helped me um, trick myself into feeling confident as well. Yeah, I see. Yeah, confidence is something that's really difficult to to kind of master, even when, mm -hmm. you know, you have all the knowledge and all the skills. I think yep. just being in a new environment and being around new students, it takes some time to to feel comfortable and, and for obviously yeah. for your students to feel comfortable, too. Exactly. Um, yeah, for me, it was mostly that and just kind of wanting wanting to have some sort of work and with something I knew how to do. That's and that's sort of made me become more confident. But what motivated you to become a teacher in, in that sense? Yeah, I mean, I know I obviously had a very different journey, um, but my main motivation to to become a teacher was probably just based on seeing the the way that my teaching helps students, mm -hmm. even if it's in a small way. It I really loved that connection that I had with students and being able to help them to improve. Mm -hmm. um, and all students have different motivations and to get to listen to those motivations and try to understand those motivations and try to help students to achieve their goals and keep them motivated is a real mm -hmm. challenge. And teaching is, is, is really rewarding because it's not just, you know, I'm mm -hmm. telling you things and you're listening. It's kind of a little bit of sociology, a little bit of psychology, oh, yeah. a little bit of science, a little bit of, you know, math it's it has so many different elements to it which i think that that's why i think so many of us love teaching because it's mm -hmm. it's varied it's interesting yeah. it's challenging you're always learning new things and no two classes are really the same even if you're yeah. teaching the same course your students or you or your materials you can always constantly adapt and change and transition and keep improving right um one thing that I tell and I kind of, you know, share with so many teachers now is a lot of them tell me, especially at the moment, now we've kind of readjusted to this situation now is kind of like, I'm not getting any students or and mm -hmm. students are not booking with me or, you know, what's going on? Why, why is the situation like this? And I always say, you try to use this as a positive, use this time to work on your message, work on your mm -hmm. social media, work on your approach, mm -hmm. work on your profile, work on your courses and your material. So yeah. I think it's, you know, it's, it's because that it's so varied and, and challenging and also rewarding. And, and that's why I love, love what I do. And did you ever consider teaching anything other than ESL? Yeah. Um, before I was an English teacher, I actually was um, training to become a PE teacher, a physical education mm. or a sports teacher. Oh, yeah. You mentioned that I before. I <laughs> played a lot of soccer when I was young, or football. Apologies to um, 
those <laughs> from other parts of the world. Um, I coached, I managed, I um, played, just try to, because I thought that this would be something that I could really do, that I'd enjoy, that would be, you know, a long-term career for me. But the more I got into actual in the classroom teaching, the more I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was there for a while until my early 20s. But then once I went to Korea and I started teaching English, I, I kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do and, and to do professionally and do well. Um, mm-hmm. So not really, but how about you, Faye? Yeah, I, you know, ever since I was a little girl, my mom still makes fun of that. I used to play school. So I would teach my brother and my sister. I would make them be my students. I would give them homework and I would mark it. And I always like wanted to be a teacher, but growing up in Brazil, um, teachers are not, um, the, the teaching profession is not that well-respected in terms mm. of, um, how well valued it is and salary wise. And everyone says, yes, teachers are great, but then you don't actually see that in practice. And I, I never really saw that as a viable career, career option. If I ever wanted to make a certain amount of money or have a comfortable life, you know, um, it didn't seem like I would be using my fullest potential in that field. Um, so I went to design school and that, which seemed cool at the time. And it was pretty cool, but I really didn't feel like I could do that for a living. And then Mm -hmm. when I started teaching as something just to make some money and travel, and then I'm like, Oh, actually, I really love doing this. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm good at it. You know, it's like, I have fun, my students are learning. And it's that what you said that you see your students learning that immediate feedback that I didn't get from being a designer and working at the computer and then presenting a client with something they're like, yeah, can we change the color a bit, you know, and it's like, (laughs) ah, so I guess you could apply that to teaching in quite a lot of ways now in terms of that design background. Absolutely. And the creativity that came with it, you know, all the Mm -hmm. things that drew me to design, I could definitely use as a teacher. Um, And so I ever, I, I always wanted to, to be a teacher, but I, I, I tried teaching. I mean, I've, I've done teacher training, which I like as well. It's very similar. And I've taught Portuguese as a second language. Mm-hmm. So only things related to languages, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So when you started out, because obviously you, you were a student and you made that transition to a teacher. Mm-hmm. So what kind of qualifications or experience were required of you when, when starting teaching in Brazil? Um, not a lot. And I can't, I cannot really say what it's like nowadays, because it's been 15 years since I started, but um, it was mostly, can you speak the language? Great, you're hired. If you're a native speaker, wow, they were definitely hired. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot, some schools had sort of like a test that you could take as a part of your application. Mostly it was a language test, or they wanted to know if you could explain a grammar point um but a lot of schools actually had like a translation test and those were the schools I kind of ran away from when Mm -hmm. I realized that's what they were testing me on I'm like I'm not applying to be a translator I want to teach right 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 um I was lucky enough to get hired by a school that actually uh, provided some teacher training as part of the hiring process there was like a a three-day training (laughs) But it was better than nothing. But um, there wasn't really much. Um, I did have my CAE certificate at the time, which I think was a plus, but it was definitely not uh, a requirement. Yeah. I see. Yeah. And um, now, speaking of that, like I definitely noticed that working in Brazil, that uh, being able to speak the language fluently or even being a native speaker definitely got you in the door quicker. Mm-hmm. Did, do you feel you were treated the same as non-native teachers when you starting when you were starting out? Absolutely not, no. Mm. And I 
again, I've, I've always been quite vocal about this when I've talked about this topic previously, but mm-hmm. I don't feel that I was. And if that's due to my gender or my nationality or mm-hmm. my age or my ethnicity, those all could have been factors. And again, I, I don't know which one or which combination of those may have helped me. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel as if, you know, let's say because I'm a male, because I'm white, because I'm you know, British, because I have native proficiency that gave me advantage mm. over others, advantages over others. And um, that kind of manifested in different ways um, yeah. in Korea. That was, you know, it was seen as if the program that I worked at, it was kind of everyone was equal in terms mm-hmm. of we're all, you know, applying to do the same job and we're all having the same contract and the same conditions. Mm-hmm. But then maybe once, once you're actually working in your school um, or you're living in a certain environment and maybe locals or you know students or co-workers are not used to seeing someone you know who looks like you or sounds like you or you know it, they just haven't had that experience so that has led to a lot of, of issues for a lot of my colleagues and, and friends and people that I know uh, but not so much for me so I think things are changing in a lot of places um, again I can't speak for for all countries um, but I, I feel like I've been very sheltered in a lot of ways and a lot of discrimination or issues that others have faced um, has been kind of, is, is not, has not happened to me or I've avoided. But that, that isn't to say that I have, you know, been discriminated against because I was the only foreigner in my school. I was the only non-Korean in my school. So, of course, there's a different kind of discrimination. But I think in comparison to to others that I know, it's it's very small and it's very... You know, it's very insignificant, really. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate because I definitely noticed that in Brazil, um, I had uh, co-workers who were native speakers of English and I had co-workers who weren't. And often my co-workers that had maybe a bit more of a Portuguese accent while speaking English would definitely not get the same opportunities like to teach the higher levels. There were amazing teachers, people that really helped me become better teachers that uh, guided me who I looked up mm. to, but often... I could see something was preventing them from moving up or getting more challenging uh, teaching um, opportunities. And it was definitely not their ability. Yeah, It was not, I mean, not their teaching skills. It was, it was because they couldn't pass for a native speaker. I was always fortunate that I uh, sounded the part that I, my accent was always pretty Mm. close to native like and a lot of people congratulated me on that it it wasn't really a merit of mine and I don't think that's something that I should be congratulated on um no but it's 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 unfortunate that that's the way it still is I think it is and I I think every school or every university for example you need a mix you need a blend Mm -hmm. of both of those and for students if they Mm -hmm. can listen to different types of English, different accents, different vocabulary uses, Mm -hmm. different styles that's a a real benefit and I think the sooner we get away from this, you know, you kind of put it up on this pedestal of native-like proficiency, but what does that really mean? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. I've met so many native speakers who, Mm -hmm. you know, really struggle to communicate well in English. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, I've met- Or make grammar mistakes all the time. Yeah, and I've met many non-natives who can understand and speak and teach the language much better than a lot of native speakers. Yeah, I still, you know, I'm, I'm constantly shaking my head when I see comments or, you know, responses to things um, online where people can't use the word lose and loose or mm-hmm. there and should there. Have, and should just, have. I see it all the time. And I just think yeah. 
some of these people have the the audacity to call out others for their language use when yeah you know, we can't use it ourselves so yeah um, exactly it's it's a real frustration and you know it's it, it does it does kind of you know it's kind of a, a pet peeve of mine but yeah mine too yeah and yeah. I always tell my students especially like in class when they're practicing with each other and they're like oh I don't understand her accent like mm-hmm. I, I, sh- I want to speak with the native speakers I'm like if you're in Vancouver if you go to Tim Hortons if you go to Starbucks if you right. go to any restaurant anywhere you go in the service industry 90% of the time the person talking to you is not from here Mm-hmm. They'll have accents from different parts of Canada, different parts of the world. They'll be second language speakers. And yeah. what are you going to do? Oh, I don't want to talk to you because right. you're and not a native not just, speaker. That's not just the case in Canada. That's in the UK. That's in the mm-hmm. US. That's in Australia yeah. for the majority of, of, of the uh, of the situation. Yeah. So yeah, I really agree with you. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's a really good message that we need to push to our, to our learners and to our fellow teachers as well. Definitely. Um, so in terms of you know moving to Canada and making that transition, Faye, did you feel a lot of pressure moving into mm-hmm. that environment based on what we've, what we've just talked about? Um, a lot of personal pressure on, on, I, that I put on myself. Mm. Um, I, I mean, before coming here, I had to take the IELTS test for immigration. And um, I think I got like an 8.5 because I didn't really want to study that much. And I was too mm-hmm. lazy to practice the writing much because the format is very specific. But that's We've talked that's about better this than before. most native speakers. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, but for me, that wasn't enough. I Because I knew coming here, I knew I wanted to find a teaching job. And I felt like I had to prove myself because I was com- going to be competing with native speakers, with Canadians, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I decided to take the proficiency exam, the Cambridge proficiency exam. And I told myself I could get no less than an A. And I just really, I worked really hard. And I got my A, I got my certificate. I was really proud and happy when I got here. My first um, interview, my boss, later my boss, didn't even care. I told him I had the Cambridge and then I kind of found a way to mention it was an A that I got. And he's like, nah, nah, okay, fine. Like he, it wasn't a thing. Uh, so all he wanted was for me to do a teaching certificate because that's what the requirement is in Canada. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. And they had it at the school and I was teaching Portuguese there at the time. And he's like, oh, but you, you can pay like the, the staff uh, fee. So it's a lot cheaper. Do it as soon as you're done, you're hired. And and then when I started working there, I realized that about 50% of the teaching staff were not Canadian. They were second mm-hmm. language speakers. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then I realized that that's just the way it is here. People don't expect you to be a native speaker. They don't think that that's any better. But I was my, I was putting that pressure on myself. And I always felt like I had something to prove. Um, but I definitely didn't feel that in the job market here, luckily. But I know that it's different in other countries. I find that in countries where English is not the first language, um, schools are more picky about that. Mm-hmm. They want the native teacher, even though they themselves are not native speakers, right? Do you and think they, it's a Do you think it's a status or a kind of a definitely? A, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I even notice uh, sometimes, like in Brazil, I felt a lot of pressure sometimes from family or even friends to maybe buy and have my own school one day being just being an ESL teacher was never going to be enough in Brazil. Mm-hmm. But once I moved here, a lot of my friends and family back home are like, Oh yeah, she teaches English in Canada. Mm-hmm. So now because I am on the, in Canada, in part. Canada, because I'm a teacher right. in Canada. Now the status is different. In their mind, you, you've kind of made it. So to I've speak. made it. Yeah, yeah I see. I for see. sure. Wow. Yeah. It's really interesting to, to hear that. There's a lot of, a lot of information I actually didn't know. So mm-hmm. I've learned a lot. Um, do you know a lot of teachers who've also made that transition from from student to to teacher? 
Yeah, I know a lot in Brazil, a lot of my coworkers, most of my coworkers were first language speakers. And I think that there were lots of different, um, because of the, the, like I said, the, the, there weren't really any requirements. There were a lot of different stories, which was interesting. Some people like me that just kind of learned the language as a child and naturally, and then traveled. Some people that had uh, done like exchange in high school abroad, and then they went back and were completely fluent. Some people actually went to university to be English teachers. So I'm really curious to see what our what our guest story is like today, because I yeah. think it'll be very interesting to compare and to see how that went. So Daniel, first, I'd love to talk a little bit about this episode's sponsor, Piecemeal. Yes, we are really excited to talk about this platform made especially for teachers. Um, it's ideal for creating drip courses that can be sent daily to your students as a text message. And as we all know, language is best learned one piece at a time. That's what piecemeal does so naturally. Yeah. And that's one of the best features for me. There's just no need to download an app or anything like that. Um, you just choose what you want your student to get every day, like a picture. It could be a short video or even a text message with some learning content and send it out. It's as simple as that. I actually think this is a great way for teachers who want to provide drip content in a simple and straightforward way. Mm -hmm. um, I also really like that you can use it as a clever way to deliver bite-sized courses called a series. Or you can start what's called a soapbox where students can subscribe to get regular content from you as long as they want. Mm -hmm. I actually recently signed up for piecemeal and I'm really excited to start using it. I think it's an easy way for teachers who want to start building their own online courses, but don't quite know how to get started. And it's also a very flexible tool for more seasoned teachers like you or me who want to give their students a different option for learning or even for teachers who want to supplement their courses or offerings. Yeah. And the best part about this is that there's actually zero commitment on your part. Um, Piecemeal only charges a, a fee when you do um, through a small commission from each sale that you make. Right. So to get started, make sure you go to piecemeal.com. That is P-I-E-C-E-M-E-A-L.com and get started for free. Great. So now let's hear from our special guest today, Jose, who will share with us his journey of progressing from an ESL student to an ESL teacher. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, let's welcome our special guest today, Jose. Hello, Jose. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, guys. How Hi. are you? Doing good. good. We're Thank excited you. to have you here. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I'm so happy. <laughs> so, Jose, let's um, start by um, telling us a little bit about your journey as an ESL student to an ESL teacher. So, what was your journey like, Jose? Uh, well, uh, it all started when I was a child, yeah. and my elder brother asked me if I was able to understand a song after having just seen it. At that moment, it was when I fell in love with the language. Then, after finishing secondary school and coming back from my gap year, I decided to study Portuguese and ended up uh, enrolling into English pedagogy. And since then, I have been studying. That was when I was living in Argentina. But then I moved to Chile. Uh, and naively, I thought that I could transfer my credits, which was not the case. So I had to enroll again and go back from first year. And um, in January of 2021, after the whole hectic year of COVID and everything, mm-hmm. I finished my major in English pedagogy, which translates into TEFL, uh, which lasted four years. And as a former teacher, I have uh, been teaching for two months mm-hmm. already. That's nice. It's nice to have um, someone who's like fresh off of that transition as well, because um, you've you've been working towards this for a long time, and now you're kind of just getting started, which is is nice. Um, and now, speaking of your ESL life as a student, what skills do you think it takes to be a successful learner? Um, there are many. But if I have to list my top three, I would say motivation, hmm. since there are there will be days where it's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. As you advance in the language, structures are going to make you doubt. Mm-hmm. And you'll be like, oh, this is going to get, this is complicated. Mm-hmm. Then comes dedication. Uh, learning a new language, whether it is English, Portuguese, Japanese, or the one that you are studying, requires to actually, to actually sit at your desk and study. Mm-hmm. because most people think that if you go to an English institute and take an hour lesson that's all but that's mm-hmm. not the reality um yeah it is true that you can pick some bits and bobs from serious music uh, movies but grammar requires time and practice and here's what I tell my students that besides the hour they spend with me they need to immerse themselves into the language mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and last it will be organization since you have other things Suppose that you are still at school and you need to be able to balance your other subjects and the new language that you are learning. Uh, the same happens even if you're not if you're an adult working mm-hmm. as an engineer. You need to work uh, to be able to balance work and study. That's, That's a lot of great advice. Yeah, yeah, that really is. And a lot of a lot of times, I know Faye, you probably get asked as much as I do. Mm-hmm. How can I be good at English? How can mm-hmm. I improve my English? And Fast. 
Jose has just laid it out perfectly. If you don't have mm -hmm. that immersion and you don't take every opportunity to practice and, you know, try to learn from your mistakes, then it's going to be a much slower process. So thinking about those skills, Jose, how does that translate to teaching? Knowing these skills that you need to be a good student, how does this translate to teaching or are there some different skills that we need? Uh, actually, I think that most of them are the same. Uh, not only do you motivate yourself, but also your students. And here, here's when it comes into play intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, mm. especially with young learners. With them, you need to have a plan B, C, and even O to Z. Because <laughs> when you are teaching and you realize that they are not so happy with the content, you need to have a, another activity with the same content. I found, mm -hmm. I found myself, for example, teaching uh, how to tell the time and we were playing with the clock and the students weren't happy, but I used the same activity into a space race and they mm -hmm. participated and were happy with the activity. Mm -hmm. uh, dedication is still in the game. You mm -hmm. need to keep yourself updated in the latest education law and methodology. And you also need to be organized in order to lesson plan and assess. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you are teaching at a school, um, I guess with all the administrative administrative things, it is important too, because from what I heard, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. But I would like to add one more here because um, I like to think that mindset, it is important mm -hmm. since it will be useful not only for you, but also for your students. Uh, we need to be able to enjoy silence and not mm -hmm. be afraid of it, make it our friend, uh, switch our students' mindset instead of looking negatively at the test and exercises results. Uh, tell them that, for example, hey, you did uh, 68 this class when last class was only 30%. Mm -hmm. uh, you are learning. It's slow, not like as fast as you would like to, but you are learning. Uh, have fun mm -hmm. with the process. Um, that is what I can say at this point in context, because I teach uh, at, an, at an online institute, mm -hmm. uh, and most of my students are here for re reinforcement. Mm -hmm. That's great. It's it's funny because your answer almost seems like a summary of a lot of our previous episodes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the I idea guess. of mindset and uh, also of like always keeping motivated, making things very positive, showing students why they're learning and how much they're learning and all that. That's great yeah. uh, insight, actually. It is. It's a great reminder as well that we need to constantly remind students it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Uh -huh. And if you can, you know, stop and appreciate all those different stops on the journey, and the destination will, you know, it'll be worthwhile. You'll get there before you realize it. And I think it's really useful that you've brought that up, Jose, and teachers need to know that, you know, if we're showing students why we're doing things and they're seeing mm -hmm. the, the value of that, then that's really important as well. Yeah, that's great. Now, what do you think are the, you talked about the similarities um, in terms of the skills, but what do you think are the main differences between being a student and a teacher of ESL? I guess that the most important thing is that you are not just in charge of yourself, but your students do. Uh, when I was a student and it was raining, I could choose to stay at home and keep <laughs> sleeping. Now I can't. Right. Uh, then I am not sure if this happens to you, but since, uh, since I started teaching, it seems that everything can be turned into a lesson. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I found myself uh, in the middle of a series thinking, oh, I could use this to teach present simple, or I could, uh, it, that could be used to teach as a function, that could work mm -hmm. as a function. And also the responsibility you have, you are, not, uh, you are now the person in charge of mm -hmm. those students' uh, learning process. And on the other hand, I can tell you one thing that has not changed, 
you still need to be an early bird. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Um, I really like what you said uh, there too, but like just kind of seeing teaching moments and everything or teachable moments and everything. I remember when I started out, you just took me back. And I remember like listening to music or watching TV. I'm like, oh, I'm teaching Present Perfect next week and this song is perfect. And it's funny because, yeah, and you feel like you almost get overwhelmed by all these ideas early on. Um, so it, that's really nice yeah, that, that you feel the same way. Yeah, um, I, I like that too. And I, I think in the past, I've kind of seen things or heard things. I'm like, this would be great for a lesson. I think we we once taught a class on similes using a, a Katy Perry song, uh, which mm -hmm. was, again, pretty strange, but it definitely has that hook. And if you can get students involved, then that's even better. Mm -hmm. um, so for you, Jose, as a, as a former uh, ESL student turned teacher, what advantages do you have as opposed to maybe someone like me who hasn't been through that same journey as you? Uh, well, I have always been a firm believer of experience. Mm -hmm. uh, so as a former student, I can understand their struggle. I mean, I have suffered while learning the irregular verb list or double consonant where it was not supposed to, mm -hmm. or even mispronounced some words. So I have this, which I like to call tips. Mm -hmm. And I can tell them, uh, hey, if the instruction says, write the following affirmative sentence into present continuous, uh, in present continuous into an interrogative sentence, just move the verb to be to the beginning of the sentence and then copy the rest of the sentence and add uh, the question mark at the end. And that's all. Mm -hmm. And yeah. they're like, oh, that's easy. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, I can sympathize with them. Uh, mm -hmm. I have gone through the same situations. If I, if, and if not, I know someone who, who has, mm -hmm. who had, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So what you just show me there is that I've had that exact same situation as you and I've explained it a different way. So for you as a learner, you have a much easier way to explain how mm -hmm. to solve that problem. Whereas for me, I can see that, but I can't explain it as well as you because I haven't gone through that process. So that's, yeah. it's really interesting to see that. It's something you probably hadn't thought about, right? As like a native speaker, when somebody exactly. asks you a question, you're like, yeah, I know that that's the way it is, but mm. how, why, and how can I make it simple? It's, it is something that I've seen a lot of my like, trainees who were uh, first language speakers of English struggle, especially with grammar lessons, because they, they couldn't simplify it. And often they didn't realize they had to. They would come into the classroom for the first time and like, oh yeah, I got this. And as soon as students started asking questions, they're like, oh, hold on. Oh, I'm just making them more confused. And then, um, so yeah, that's that definitely an advantage as a second language speaker of the language. Mm -hmm. um, now, what advice would you give to other ESL students who want to become teachers eventually? Um, I guess I have, I have to separate here into two types. If you're at university level, I would say observe and pay attention to your teachers, not only to the content they teach, but also to how they do it, mm -hmm. how they monitor, how they assess. I used to take notes of very little details in class, uh, not content, but like things like, oh, he noticed that it, uh, he noticed a change in the student's pace. So he changed the activity mm -hmm. and turned it into a more kinesthetic um, uh, one. And with that motivation changed. Uh, mm -hmm. be willing to take your own learning path to the next level. Mm -hmm. There are things that you will not be taught in details, like how to teach online, for example, mm -hmm. or how to create certain activities. So you need to, uh, to look for more information. I remember that in my last year, I knew that I would have to, uh, to teach, I would have to do my professional teaching practice. So I have mm -hmm. to prepare myself to be able to do it online because we were in the COVID situation. So I took some webinars, watched hours and hours of YouTube videos on how to, how to use Zoom, how to use Nearpod, how mm -hmm. to use Pear Deck, and other sites that will be useful for my activities. 
Uh, then if you're a student, uh, a regular student at school or um, at an institute, and you want to become a teacher, pay attention to your teacher, ask questions. At university, the English is different. It is not like this is the verb to be. Um, and if they teach the verb to be, it will be just a 15 minute lesson and then they're going to move on. You have your entire day in English and you will see topics that you've never heard before, mm -hmm. like phonetics and phonology. You will mm. um, have sentences analysis. Uh, you will see syntax and morphology. And you are like, oh, this is completely different to the things that I saw in school. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing is that you need to understand your own language. Mm. and be able to understand the different, uh, to be able to understand actually a different one. I remember that Spanish as a subject at university was half a song. Mm. And if you're not able to understand your own language, imagine when your professor asks you to analyze a verb or a noun in detail mm. and describe yeah, yeah. it. Mm -hmm. But above all, I'll say that have fun while learning, enjoy the process, make mistakes. They're part of the learning process. Mm. I like to tell my students that if you're not in a test, you can make as many mistakes as you want. Mm -hmm. uh, it won't matter because you're still learning. And actually, I'm not grading you for the mistakes. They're part of the learning process. Mm -hmm. uh, so in the end, uh, there isn't anything more satisfying than listening or reading something and being able to understand it. You're mm -hmm. like, oh, this is wonderful. I'm learning. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, that's good advice um, for a lot of the, the people that are just starting out yeah, as teachers in any situation. Mm -hmm. I think it can be very intimidating as well. And a lot of, a lot of people who want to become teachers, they think, well, you know, well, I'm, I can never be as good as this person or mm -hmm. I'll never be the same as this person. So where, where do you think Jose that new potential teachers could go to get started? Where could they go to maybe, you know, find those first jobs or find those resources or materials to get started? Um, I mean, if you're in Chile, there are two ways. Uh, in the private institution or school, uh, you have to do it the old way, send your resume to the institution uh, and the, to the openings. Uh, and uh, that also you think that will fit your prospect because if they, well, I like to say that if they like to pick their teachers, you should also be able to pick the institution that you would like to work. True. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I remember that I created my LinkedIn profiles and other sites where this institution will post, uh, would post their openings and check them every day. So if mm -hmm. I saw one, I would send my resume uh, until I got an email uh, from the one that I'm working at at the moment. Mm, nice. Uh, and then this, there's the other side, uh, the public institution. That is a different story. Mm -hmm. Depending on your vision, you have uh, an, an, an organization that controls all the hirings. I mean, you upload your information or, rest your, or, or your resume into the system and when there is an opening, they call you and you mm -hmm. decide either to reject that opening, that proposal, or, mm -hmm. or move on with the process. Mm -hmm. And here's something that I like to add that I found out and I wish that someone told me before, that you need to be, very, you need to be aware of some openings. Some of them are really fishy. Mm -hmm. For instance, I have applied to one institute, um, uh, one with a household name, Mm -hmm. uh, the offer said that they were looking for teachers and offered this and that, but at the interview, it wasn't that. Mm -hmm. They told me that they were, they were going to hire me as a language assistant and pay me like one, but they needed someone with a degree, with mm -hmm. a teaching degree to cover the days that uh, their teachers couldn't do it. And I was like, uh, no, that's not for mm -hmm. me because I, want, I wanted to work as a teacher, not right. as Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the old bait and switch. 
It's yeah. the promise this, but actually it's not this. That's very common, especially in international settings. I know, um, you know, if you want to teach ESL, especially in another country, um, you know, there is a lot of this that happens. So yeah, that's really good advice to just be aware and, and check and ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, Jose, when it comes to online teaching, um, where are some places where, where potential new teachers could start? Are you aware of any any um, online um, schools or online platforms, platforms that might work? Um, actually, I'm not really sure because the one that I work at, it's from the city that I live mm-hmm. in. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's called English PV. And they, well, they were, um, they had a um, sort of a house, a place where to teach. But since uh, this COVID situation happened, they moved everything to an online Online, base. yeah, yeah. And say they work with students from the different institutions that we have around town or some mm-hmm. other places. Because I have students from all around Chile, actually. Mm. Wow, that's wonderful. Well, I think what you mentioned as well about LinkedIn is something that is interesting to point out. Because when I started teaching, LinkedIn wasn't a thing. I don't, I don't mean to date myself here, but you know, it was a while ago <laughs> and there was, there wasn't even Facebook. So it's, it's not, that wasn't an option, but I think that that could be definitely something that new teachers could look into just really create a very strong LinkedIn profile. And um, you can, the good thing about it is that people can review the jobs as well. Right. And you can, you can, like you said, pick and choose more easily and make sure that you are actually going for a job in an institution that you would be proud to be working at. Um, I had the same situation when I started out teaching. And I remember I was talking to a friend of mine who was a teacher already at the time. And she said, Oh, I wouldn't apply for this in this school because they're, they'll actually taint your resume. Um, if you work for them, other schools won't want to hire you because of their teaching style. And it's like, it's not really up to date. So I think that's an important point to keep in mind. You should be able to choose your job as much as they should be able to choose you. I like what you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing that I found, uh, at least here, is that every English teacher knows themselves. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a system. Like, mm-hmm. I guess in one of your postcards, you mentioned having this sort of web. Mm-hmm. Uh, of English teachers so yeah. I remember when I had my interview my boss told me that she asked someone else about me mm. and that person told her like um I don't remember about like hearing about him but I know someone who has worked with him ah. and so that where the referral came yeah that's that's good it's always, always keep that in mind right that the people mm-hmm. you know people you work with will become your your references later that's true yeah Great. So Jose, finally, what, what's next for you? What do you see as, you know, the goals or what's going to happen in the next couple of years in your, in your mind, in terms of your teaching journey? Uh, uh, before, um, before university and before actually hearing your postcard and everything, I didn't know about Celta and Delta. Mm. So I would like to prepare for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the university, we get a degree and here you go for a postgraduate and then you go for a master and everything. But I didn't know about like the English certification system. Mm-hmm. I did my TK, TKT at school, but mm-hmm. then I started like researching more about teaching English, uh, what I need to do to be a better teacher. So I had to prepare for my Celta, my Delta. I would like to do that and mm-hmm. see how it goes. Mm, that's that's good. That's a good good point. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Jose, thank you so much for um, taking time today to talk through your journey from mm-hmm. ESL student to teacher. And it's really inspirational. And I'm sure you'll motivate a lot of our listeners too. So thank you so much for taking the time to share that with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. It was wonderful. Thanks, Jose, for taking us through your journey from ESL student to ESL teacher. 
it's a really inspirational story and hopefully it's motivating for our listeners too. Yes. And as always, remember to subscribe for new episodes every Wednesday. Find us on Instagram at ESL Talk Podcast or send us an email to ESL Talk Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. You can also find us on Instagram too at I'm Daniel Teacher and at Learning with Faye, F E Y. All right. Another great episode in the books. Thanks everyone for listening. And be sure to tune in next week for another brand new episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365 day returns. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for even more ESL teaching content.